0: see what fedex can do for your business absolutely positively fedex
1: the constitution was written on the premise that we the people would be hard-working citizens but by and large we don't study the issues politicians lie because we don't know the facts they dangle shiny new scandals because we allow ourselves to be mesmerized we're asked to vote in federal elections once every two years, and half of us cannot find the time. Have we become too lazy in mind and body to support a democracy? I don't see that in the Americans I've met. How do you dig this up? I've witnessed devotion to all of our stars among the firefighters who sacrificed themselves at the World Trade Center an air force nurse in iraq who opened her own veins to give blood to a dying marine
0: our job is to resuscitate to allow the surgeons it's time to stop the bleeding
1: paul Violis is a cbs news security consultant an accomplished author and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert with over 35 years of experience he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night this is Security Matters with Paul Violas.
2: Welcome to Security Matters. I'm Paul Violas, and this is a CBS News Radio production. As always, big thank you for everybody hitting us up uh, on social media. Your Ongoing comments are fantastic. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, as you know, and, and you continue to see, what you're writing in, we're covering, and we're going to continue to do that. So please make sure that if there are things that you want us to cover, you write us in. You can always hit us up at info at Violas. You can hit us up on social media staff at Security Matters is ready to take those in. A big thank you, though. Before we get going, on behalf of everyone here at Security Matters, I want to wish everyone a very happy and very safe 4th of July and is in honor of this great day in our nation's history that we dedicate today's show to the very bedrock of our independence, and that being the United States Constitution. You know, the Constitution as you'll hear from our guest today, is the supreme law of the land. The preamble to the Constitution serves as an introductory statement of the document's fundamental purposes and its guiding principles. It neither assigns powers to the federal government nor does it place specific limitations on government action. It's truly a remarkable document that was written to provide us a foundation and yet be flexible enough to allow us to grow together. It's truly spectacular when you think about it. Rather, it sets out the origin, the scope, the purpose of the Constitution. Its origin and authority is in this one statement, and we've heard this, ladies and gentlemen, so many times since we were kids to adults. We, the people of the United States, it echoes the Declaration of Independence. One people, imagine that, one people. Our founding fathers said, one people. Dissolved their connection with one another, assumed, assumed, among the powers of the earth, the sovereign nation. It's really, I mean, the scope of the Constitution is really fascinating. And, and before I, I bring in our first guest, it's twofold. You know, first, the Constitution was to form a more perfect union than had previously existed in, in, in the Perpetual Union, of the Articles of the Confederation, which I won't get into. But second, and to me, to me as a student of history, um, and I'm not an attorney, so I can't offer legal advice, but that's why you're going to hear from, t- from two extremely talented and, and brilliant lawyers uh, today. Uh, but as a student of history, to me, the second is the one that permeates the most. It resonates through everything that we talk about and how we live. It was to secure the blessings of liberty. I'm going to come back to that a lot today. But remember that part of the intention of creating this incredible document behind the We the People was to secure the blessings of liberty. Now, I offer a fruit for thought. What does that mean, to secure the blessings of liberty? And, and write us in, and, le- and I'd love to know your thoughts on that. But also, I challenge you to come back to me right now and tell me, are we doing that? By our actions, what we support, how we're interpreting the Constitution as American citizens, are we doing that? By the way that we vote, who we bring in office, how we hold elected officials' feet to the fire to make sure they do what you elected them to do. Are we doing that? Remember that one phrase, ladies and gentlemen, secure the blessings of liberty, because I'm going to come back to it. Now, in addition to the seven articles, our Constitution brings forth ratified amendments that safeguard liberty, justice, the unenumerated, which we'll talk about. A favorite of mine is, of course, the so-called right to privacy, which we don't have an implied. We, have It's implied. It's a guaranteed right to privacy. Um... Government authority, civil rights, and and government process. That's, That's what this is about. Now, most importantly to me, this sits at the very core of our safety and security, of us, of our families, of our nation, which is why I truly believe all of us need to more closely examine this document, this spectacular document, to ensure we are following its intentions and not weakening our stature by creating conflict We simply don't need. Here to weigh in, Security Matters legal analyst, founder of Ancona Levine, Vincent Ancona. Vin, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today.
3: No, my pleasure, Paul. Happy Fourth of July to you and to all the listeners out there who are enjoying this beautiful day and the liberties that it comes with. Because I think a lot of us don't realize or sometimes we just take it for granted because we see a set of fireworks and a flag and everyone's having a barbecue that we don't realize how important of a day it really is.
2: And, you know, Ben, to that point, and I can't agree more, which really was the impetus behind us doing the show today. Let me start off by asking you as not just our legal analyst here at you know, CBS News um, and at CBS News Radio's Security Matters show, but, but as a, you know, a very successful practicing attorney with decades of experience, your thoughts on the Constitution in its totality and also about how it affects our daily lives.
3: Well, I mean, Paul, look, as a lawyer, ultimately, this is the supreme law of the United States. So this is the bedrock for my entire career and everything that I base myself on. The Constitution in and of itself gives us the beginnings of every law that we live with every day, every moment, whether it's starting from getting a traffic ticket to all the way to being indicted for a crime. Everything along the way comes from the bedrock of this written article that was done over two centuries ago. But I think the most important thing that people have to always remember, that the first three words are the most important, we the people because we the people comes down to it's created this government of ours to serve our citizens to serve us it's not the other way around and and it's amazing how two hundred some odd years ago the crafters of this document realized that the only way to really protect the freedoms of democracy was to put a document in place that not only created what they said was going to be a basis of freedoms that we would have here but also give us the opportunity to have breakdowns of government that each one is a cross-check of the other You know, sometimes we don't realize that the importance of the three different branches of government that were guaranteed by the first three articles of the Constitution. Because you break down the Constitution, the first three articles, whether it be legislative in the first, executive in the second, or judicial in the third, they're all meant to create a balance that we, the people, the citizens, always have to have, in the back of our minds, we shouldn't have a fear that the people's thoughts, the people's wants are being protected. And it doesn't allow any one of these branches to have too much power. And that travels into every aspect of what we do, whether it, whether it be from work to our personal lives. Those balances will allow us to be able to have the freedoms that we have. And, and if you really push forward on what's happened since the creation of this and all the amendments and the Bill of Rights and interpretations of the law, think about how good this law still is in a changing environment that we live in. Think about how good our rights are protected in a world where we say 250 years later, we still have the basic enumerations of those rights. Now, have they changed? Of course. The world's changed. Times have changed. Look, Paul, you and I in the last 15 years, and we've done a lot of shows together, we talk about how the world's just changed in the last decade. Right. How, you know, we don't even recognize the streets as they are compared to how you and I grew up. No question. But you you have to say to yourself, though, the basic tenuance of what we grew up with, the basic protections, the freedoms, they're there. They just sometimes get muddied in the waters because everyone has their own version or iteration of what they think it should be.
2: And to that point. But at the end then, of the
3: day, the bedrock's there.
2: To that point, though, let's, to that point then, and they do get muddy. And I agree with you, and we've talked about this. But today, as we celebrate the 4th of July, as we celebrate our independence, our freedom, we have this document, as you, as you stated, and I agree, is the bedrock for that. But I, I, I want to say that there are certain things that, that are going on right now in our society that concern me about how the Constitution is being interpreted. I'm going to start with, I'm going to ask you, uh, let's talk First Amendment. We know that it guarantees a a variety of different freedoms, but one in particular is it guarantees freedom of speech. Now, we know, then that, and I've learned from you from over the years, many things. One in particular is that, look, the First Amendment guarantees us the right to burn the United States flag. Whether we don't like it or not, it gives us the right to do so. Whether it makes you sick to see it or w- whether you celebrate it, we still have the right to do it. But yet it doesn't entitle us to falsely yell fire in a crowded theater. So my question to you, Ben, that's the parameter. Actually, two questions from that. One, where do we stand? We see so many groups that start and then turn militant. We see groups that, that, that start to wanting to, to, um, to join uh, to To spread some type of message, whatever it may be, which is their constitutional right, but yet that r- freedom of assembly, the right to assembly, does that also extend to groups that can it, by the hundreds march down Broadway in New York City, screaming, "Kill a cop, kill a cop, kill a cop Does First Amendment extend to that and then the second part of the question second part of that question has been we know that hate crime has increased over thirty two percent now. What's the dividing line for the First Amendment when it comes to hate crime?
3: Well, you know, Paul, I I can answer that question, but they're all going to come back to ultimately the same thing. You know, there there is no dividing line, right? Because if you're going to say what's the dividing line in the concept of someone walking down the street to the top of their lungs and screaming something that you know you can't stand in your core, it always comes down to one thing, safety and security of the mass of the people. So I have a right to burn a flag. I have a right to scream hate if I want to, but I don't have a right to incite Harm to the individuals and the citizens that are around you. So, as much as we talk about sometimes the disgusting nature of what freedom of speech brings, it also brings us the liberty that we have. Now, with the hate crime and going up 32%, and with people's speech becoming more and more adamant as as the years have gone by, right? Because, you know, again, Paul, going to our ages, you know, the Internet now allows you with a random thought to post it out there for the world to see. You know, years ago, a random thought had to be typed, put out there, and uh, published somewhere. Right Now, anybody with uh, a uh, phone can put out hate and spew it, and in, it in means that it's instantaneous that's what the rise is coming from, is because we're working in a world that moves faster. But as far as the concerns of the the protections of that liberty of that speech, it always comes down to safety, Paul. The reason why you can't scream fire in a burning room is because at the end of the day, people are going to trample over themselves and get hurt and get killed. That's the whole point of allowing the interpretation of the law to protect situations like that. Now, screaming, kill a cop, kill a cop, when you walk down Times Square, you and I both know we would spit at those people, because that's just how we are because we, we, we appreciate what they do for us as a community but they do have the right to do it as long as they don't incite anything further than that speech so then and we've seen these situations in North Carolina we've seen these situations everywhere has gone out of control
2: right so now vin if if i'm understanding correctly and for our listeners to clarify this that's fine it's protected whether you like it or not it's protected speech but if that speech then turns actionable and someone goes ahead and gets riled up from that type of rhetoric and grabs a gun and on the side of the street shoots a cop. Now what? Now well, what do clear, we have? Is clearly, there a connection? Well,
3: well, there isn't because the words are still protected. protectable. It's the actions that aren't right? So the words are still protected. What happens now in the event that that happened, that whole event is shut down. It's no longer allowed to get its licensure. It's no longer to continue. And obviously you have the death at hand, right? Or someone who's been killed, Mm -hmm. but it's the action that causes it to stop. Anything else in between is still protected. And even if your language is incitable, language out there that's incitable, it's the action that's the event.
2: And that's the thing that we all need to understand about that, because I think that's where people get lost in that. Let's switch gears and go over to the right to bear arms. Um, I mean, I figured let's just pick things that aren't controversial for today. So, the oh, of right, course, that's the easy stuff. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, right to bear arms. Right now, we we know from the genesis of, of the Constitution, the right to bear arms was was created for the militia to bear arms to protect their homesteads. It's a fact. It is what it is. Now we look at things differently. We 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 grapple, Ben. We we grapple with you know school violent shootings, with active shooters, with. Islamic radicalism on, on the United States soil, we grapple with the use of firearms every time there's a shooting. and We have them all the time now, right? 611 averaging workplace violence events in the, in, in the United States every year. We're, we grapple with the right to bear arms. When you look at the Constitution, what's the Constitution say about that? What's the, what's, what's the dividing line?
3: Yeah, but the problem is Paul, when you talk about the divide line for what the constitution says to the world we live in, it's 200 years of difference. And the constitution even though it gives us the right, you know, you got to remember the, first of all that, that the second amendment is based upon the original English Bill of Rights in the 1600s, which gave all its citizens the right to basically protect themselves. And I'm breaking this down into its in its simplest format. But, you know, when you're talking about the next 200 years of world that we live in, obviously this is where the problem is. And this is the reason why everyone has to understand the Constitution was genius in its creation, because Article 5 allowed everything to be amended and everything to be modified. Which, it gave them the right to take – Article 5 allows that, which, allows modification of right, all these rights.
2: Which, which, is, which is what I was saying earlier, um, is that the beauty of this document was the foreseeability of change, the, that it was elastic, that it was fluid, that it allowed us to adapt to the growth. And to me, I thought that was remarkable that our founding fathers had so much, so much vision to realize that I feel this way now. But, you know, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, uh, you know, our, 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 our predecessors may not really feel the same way. So that's what I loved about the Fifth Amendment. But now I look at the 14th Amendment, you know, equal protection under the law. How many cases do we have talking about equal protection under the law? And what are we looking at today as far as how the 14th Amendment is used, Ben?
3: Well, I mean, but the 14th Amendment winds up becoming the, the, the battering ram for every attorney that wants to go into court and argue that my client's rights are being trampled on, right? I mean, is that where we go today? And and, and that's ultimately what we have. I mean, do we have this equal protection? Are the groups or the classes, or the people or the individuals all being protected? In a way that ultimately should represent what the basis of the Constitution is. The problem you have is, Paul, is that every time we use the 14th Amendment, to basically say it's not equal protection. You're opening up a Pandora's box of what the hell really is. And and you know, and in good and bad, no one really knows what is and what isn't, right? Cuz it's supposed to be a simple concept. Right. It, re- it really is. It's supposed to be a simple concept, but when you start moving the, the, the line across the board and does it cover school, does it cover religion, does it cover everything, reproductive rights, racial quotas, you know, gender discrimination, you know, we start putting this 14th Amendment into every aspect of our lives and we say we have some confusion. Well, and, and, it, it, and that's the beauty of the document because the document allows us to be able to use something as a bedrock to say there is a basis in law for what I object to you with. Which is why it is the it is the bedmark of of every major case that comes out of the Supreme Court in the last two hundred years.
2: Right, exactly. And and that's why, you know, now we're looking at Roe v. Wade. And Roe v. Wade possibly being overturned. Now, I'm not gonna to go one way or the other on that, but I think the interesting part about that is it brings us to this underlying maybe this under omnipresent thought of How powerful the Supreme Court is with respect to the enforcement, the interpretation of the Constitution. Your thoughts on that?
3: Well, I mean, you know, that is the biggest um, gripe or the biggest uh, problem that people see with the original inception of the Constitution, that it allowed the major power to be given to a group that's not elected. Now that that is one of the biggest deterrents that people would say that the Constitution was was this was where the mistake happened because you know the other two branches have to be elected, this one doesn't, and they make the decisions that follow us through. So you know whether it's Brown v. versus Board of Ed. and racial discrimination or Bush v. versus Gore and election recounts, these are all being done by people who are picked in a partisan fashion, and and that's the that's the real thing that we all have to look at as a country, and sometimes. Say to ourselves, why did they not make that one exception when they were creating right. the third article? Why did they leave that out? What was behind the impetus of, of, of purposely leaving that out? There, and because that, this is the difference of the future for us. It really that, is.
2: Uh, to me, that's the that's the trump card. Uh, no pun intended. Um, but that that's real, that's the card in the deck right now. That I think, as we look at the as we look at the Constitution and the beauty of the construct of the Constitution. Um, it's that one component of the Supreme Court that I think is going to pivot where we move in the years to come. We know that it's supposed to be apolitical, but we also know that it's the sitting president that's going to nominate. Look, I, We could talk ad nauseum, and we have, about you know the, the, the process of a Supreme Court nominee going through the Senate. Right? We've talked about this. Sure. But as we it, it, my, as we prepare for the decades to come, uh, and here's my my closing question to you, Ben, is is this: as we prepare for the decades to come, as you look at where we are today, what our Constitution says, the issues that are evolving around us right now, sort of like you know orbiting around us, what do you think are the major issues that the Supreme Court is going to? Weigh in on as it relates to the Constitution and how that's going to affect daily lives for American citizens.
3: Well, you know, for me, one of the biggest issues has always been these election recounts, and and, and the reason why I say that is is because if you go back to the Bush v. Gore case, I mean, not only decided who the president of the United States was going to be, mm-hmm. and you have to say to yourself, that's an amazing power that they have that they were able to make a decision. And who ultimately picked our president?
2: That's correct.
3: And I think that has a bigger impact than anything else, because as much as we want to talk about the Roe versus Wade, or we want to talk about California versus Bake and and the things that were reproductive rights or racial quotas or gender discrimination, but but the simple fact is that the court has the ability, when something as simple as an election recount, to put out there who the next president of the United States is going to be. Right. And and, and and further, I would say to you that the biggest issue that I have with, with having to wait for the Supreme Court to weigh in on all these situations is the time frames. Because you've got a sitting president that sometimes may want to do something, and then a court case comes down and stops him from doing it. And by the time the Supreme Court gets that decision to them or to the country or to the people, eight months have passed, a year has passed, a year and a half has passed, I don't know how that's good government when we have to wait a year or 14 months or 16 months for our leader to make a decision on something that he believes he's doing in the benefit of our country. Whether it's good or bad, I believe that one of the things that should happen over the next decade or 20 years is that the speed and efficiency of how the Supreme Court decides federal question needs to be moved up in a fashion where it's to the time frame we live in today, because we live in a world of instant answers. And to have to wait that long to get a decision on whether or not the president has a right to do A or nay... Could be the difference between soldiers getting killed, could be the difference between people being discriminated against, could be the difference between immigrants not coming into the country. And all of these are major issues going forward. And I just think that the speed of our government needs to catch up to the speed of technology in in this new era.
2: Well, you know, that's a powerful statement, Ben. And quite frankly, I don't know that we're going to get there anytime soon. So my last question to you in a minute or less, closing statement. We the people. What does that mean?
3: It means that this, this document, this country, was created for us by us. It's really that simple. And at the end of the day, no matter what people we see on television, whether they're having debates or they're hating each other or they're talking on a talk show, they're ours. They're, we put them there. We decide if they sit there or not. And that is one of the most powerful things that you can go to bed with every night to know that. At the end of the day, we, the people, decide the path this country may go. We may not agree most of the time. But at the end of the day, it is the people that put us on the path for which we take.
2: That's the way that I look at it, my friend. Vincent Ancona, as I said, the founder of Ancona Levine and someone that we are proud to say is the legal analyst here for Security Matters. Vin, thanks so much for joining us. A very happy, very healthy and um, a joyous and prosperous and fun Fourth of July for you and the family.
3: You too, my friend. Happy July to everyone, and may the 4th be a special day for us all.
2: Thanks, man. Listen, you're listening to Security Matters with Paul Viola, a CBS News radio production. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Miss Kim Whaley, a CBS legal analyst, attorney, and author. It's going to weigh in on a new book covering the Constitution. Stay with me. We'll be right back.
1: What's required of the rest of us is a small sacrifice to keep democracy vibrant and alive. United we stand is a familiar aspiration, but divided we stand is the secret of America. With all of our diversity, in all of our languages, we should agree on one big idea. We are all woven into the tapestry of stars. It's time to see that not as a right, but as a privilege that each of us is willing to earn with minds that are skeptical but open and hands ready to work and willing to embrace
2: now back to security matters with paul Violis. welcome back to security matters a cbs news radio production i'm paul Violis, and as i mentioned before we took our break we are honored to have a colleague of mine from cbs um talking about uh miss kimberly whaley um Kim is an author, a lawyer, a law professor, and an on-air and off-air legal expert, analyst, and commentator for CBS News. She is a former assistant United States attorney and associate independent counsel in the Whitewater investigation, also author of her new book, How to Read the Constitution and Why. No one better to be joining us right now than Kim Whaley. Kim, thanks so much for taking the time.
0: Thanks for having me. Happy to
2: be here. Absolutely. And before we get off, I want to make sure we talk about your book because I'm fascinated with it. Uh, I know it's just recently released, so we have to make sure that we get into that because the the, the basis of the show today, our our episode today, Kim, is really going into celebrating the 4th of July as we are today, but more so we're celebrating the 4th of July because, as I see it, the Constitution lies as the bedrock of our freedom. Uh, You, as an expert in the Constitution, I'm looking at how the Constitution was written, some of the fascinating parts about it, especially the Fifth Amendment, which was kind of the degree of foreseeability that it's going to need to change, but yet other parts that speak to things that don't allow that elasticity. Um, where we sit today, and as an expert in this area, when you look at the Constitution and you look how it's being interpreted and applied— what are the things that you're most proud of and what what are the things that concern you most about the totality of the Constitution today?
0: Well, I think what the brilliance of the Constitution is that it puts the individual – in theory, puts the individual over the elected official. So think about the framers of the Constitution, the revolutionaries – who fought and died for our freedoms. We take this for granted. But they didn't want a king. They didn't want a monarchy who could basically boss people around arbitrarily. So they took the monarchy, and they broke it into three parts. They created a separate judicial branch. They created a legislative branch and an executive branch. And every branch has certain powers, and every branch gets to check the other two branches' papers. And the idea behind it is that ultimately all power goes back to the people. So when we talk a lot, we hear a lot these days about expanding presidential power, regardless of who's in, the office, in office. That is a problem. Why? Because certainly the framers and the revolutionaries weren't fighting and dying for more power in the executive branch. They were fighting and dying for more power to the people. So I think my answer is the same both ways. I think it's both the brilliance of the Constitution, that the power is it's designed structurally to ensure the power in the, people, in the people. But it's not self-executing. That is, there's no sort of constitution cop on the block that a, makes sure that the structure is adhered to. You're so yeah. right. that, so we don't... It, yeah, go
2: ahead. No, that's such a great phrase. I love that because there is no constitutional cop. But yet, when you mm-hmm. look at... Read, you can't go anywhere without reading the headlines every single day Came without something relevant to the constitution being in it, whether it's now we're looking at Roe v. Wade or we're looking at freedom of speech issues about what can and can't be said. We're looking at hate crimes. We're looking at the bearing of arms, right, with respect to active shooters. Kim, every single thing about this, especially I'm sure you talk about it in your book, are things that we live with every day. Wouldn't you agree?
0: This is exactly, this is why I wrote the book, because we live with it every day. And frankly, there's only a small cadre of lawyers and scholars that fully understand this in the country i mean lawyers are like doctors you don't go to podiatrists for heart surgery and not every lawyer knows a lot about the constitution right. likewise if you're going to have heart surgery you do your homework you make sure that you've you know been uh, someone's explained to you what the procedure is what the con- what your condition is what the follow-up would be but when it comes to our constitutional guarantees i th- you know even my law students most people can't tell you the basics i mean There there have been studies done, and the the measure of constitutional illiteracy is really daunting because I don't think people have really understood how fragile it is. Uh, Um, And what the book does is it doesn't just describe the document and list what's in there. Um, It tells – or it helps – educate people about how to think about it. It's sort of like, how do you ride the constitution bike, not just watch someone else ride the constitution bike? Because I also think a lot of commentary um, both in the, you know, and obviously I'm part of this as well and on TV and in op-eds and everything are experts speaking to other experts and a regular person can pick that up and really not be able to jump in the deep end and swim. So this book tries to lay out or it does lay out and really really, basic conceptual language. Okay, this is how it works. And this is where it's in trouble. And this was what could happen if we continue to just take it for granted.
2: Now, sometimes in the book, it talks about protections eroding before our eyes. What what do you mean by that?
0: Well, again, I, I, I like to liken it to, I mean, there are two parts of the Constitution. Let me back up. There's the structure, and you mentioned this, so the three branches of government. And the idea was at the time that we didn't need a Bill of Rights. We didn't need a list in the Constitution of the kind of rights we have, like First Amendment free speech, for example, or Second Amendment, which has been interpreted to, to, as a right to own a handgun in the home, um, because the structure itself would protect individual rights, that because all the branches checked each other's branches, no no politician would have would be able to bully a regular person. So that's right. the structure. The second part of the Bill of Rights, where we actually added specific rights. When I say is it's eroding, the structure is not being protected. So we have essentially a Congress that is not functioning. It's not doing its job of oversight of the executive branch. It's just saying, listen, this is political. We don't care what happens on our watch. We are with Team X or Team Y, uh, which allows a lot of power to amass in the the executive branch. And things like, you know, this is a fancy word, or we've learned it in the last few years, the emoluments clause, for example, it's there for a reason. Congress is supposed to at least look into it to see if it's being uh, violated. That is, we don't want presidents taking goodies from other countries in exchange for we don't know what. And they basically shrugged it off. So, That's an erosion. That's an example. We might as well get out our black Sharpie and cross it out of the Constitution because it's not doing any work anymore.
2: Now, you describe the Constitution as the backbone of American government. But yet – now, I've got a wild card for you, and I'd love your opinion on this because obviously you're the expert. The Supreme Court, I see that as the wild card with respect to the Constitution. What do you think about that?
0: Well – Wild card, sure. I think it's not so much a wild card in that we don't know what we're turning over. We know what the judicial philosophy is of pretty much the nine justices, with some that are kind of jumping back and forth. I mean, this last few days, when we last few weeks, when we've seen so many opinions come down. It, uh, you know, Justice Gorsuch is aligned with the, the liberals more uh, frequently than what than one would think. But, but it is. Um, I think it's a wild card in that and again, people don't understand this, the Constitution, I liken it in the book to a poem, right? You can read a poem. You can spend an entire class, in English class in college, talking about a three-stanza poem and the various ways of interpreting it. The Constitution is the same way. So you're putting it basically in the hands of five people, oftentimes one person, to make decisions based on their own theoretical, personal, philosophical, historical uh, points of view that really decide, listen, I'm you know in this gray area, I'm going to call it this way versus that way. And that is an extraordinary amount of power to put in five people that are unelected and can't be fired. They cannot be fired at the ballot box like the rest of us. And the problem is, and uh, we were speaking about this off air, like today, the decision came down, the court said, listen, majority, I'm not doing anything about partisan political gerrymandering where this isn't a court thing. They're punting it back to the legislative branches. But the legislative branches, as I said, at least at the federal level, are not functioning. They're, it's so polarized in Congress that they're at a standstill. So then nothing is actually moving in that branch. The, if the court says they won't do anything, then we have rights that is, in this instance, the right to vote that isn't really real. I mean, gerrymandering clearly on both sides of the political spectrum dilutes and uh, basically makes not real the power to cast a meaningful vote that can actually have an impact in an election. A gerrymandered district means they've, they've kind of carved it up in this bizarre sort of way, kind of picking every other house based on your politics, in right. the political spectrum, to make sure it's going to go blue or wet red no matter how you vote. That, that is basically undermining our core constitutional concept of voting, which, as you mentioned at the outset, that is what makes our country special. It, the idea is power is in the hands of the people, not in the rich and powerful politicians.
2: Exactly. So my, my last question to you, Kim, before we, we, we close with really highlighting the, your book and where people can get it and everything about it, is My last question is this. As I study the Constitution, and I remember um, one of the constitutional law professors I had in college, uh, Professor Vona, I can't remember, I can't believe I actually remember that. Um, but he was, he said to, I remember he said something that stuck with me. He said that the, it is the most powerful document that you will ever read and not listen to as American people. And he said the other thing that stuck with me was the the three most powerful words of the Constitution, in his opinion, were "We the People." So, in your opinion, what does "We the People" mean?
0: And that's so interesting to highlight that because, you know, this book originally started as an academic book, and I wrote. Uh, Cambridge asked me to write a scholarly book. I wrote an article a few years ago called. And in the title, were those three words, "Read we the, we the people. So I'm literally the person really? to ask, <laughs> answer that question. To, yeah. And my concept of we the people is an accountable government. Amen. That is, the boss is the people. Right. That is the boss. It, everything has to trace back to the vote and to the ballot box. That's, what we the people mean. Is the word accountability anywhere in the Constitution? No. But we understand this concept, right? This is how you you go to a, a restaurant and it functions because there are rules and there are accountability. If somebody's stealing from the cash register, they get fired because there are rules that are that are that keep the restaurant going. If we think of our our government and our constitution, our democracy like a business, if there are rules that keep it going, that keep it honest, that keep it uh, functioning in a way that works for the people, but those rules have to be enforced. If someone's stealing from the cash register and no one does anything about it, next thing you know, there's a you know closed for business sign on the front door because it can't function. And that's where we, the people, at the end of the day, it's about voting. Even if you say to yourself, listen, my vote doesn't matter. I'm in a blue district. I'm in a red district. It does. Half the American public votes. Imagine we double that number. Exactly. Imagine we were in the eighties or the ninety percent it's hard to It's hard to imagine that things would not change in this country. People want change right that's the way to do it. Supreme Court basically said that today. It's like don't look it to us. look to yourself
2: That was the impetus behind me wanting to have the Fourth of July show centered around this subject and and you're so on point kim I, I honestly, my position on we the People speaks to something you said earlier. You said there's no constitutional cop, right? Um, right. Which I love that phrase. To me, we the people means ownership. It means take ownership. It means take responsibility. And that means vote. And after you vote, after you vote, and this is a message to all our listeners, after you vote, hold elected officials accountable for why you voted for them. We just don't do that, can
0: Well, and... Po- yes and part of it is education I, I just don't think people you know understand how that even works and just to say i'm i'm actually working on another book for the same publisher harper collins for next summer that will lay out the voting process it'll have an appendix in it that we look up by state by state how do you register what do you bring to the polls when do you need to register how do you find out about the candidates Education, education, education. Yes. And this book that came out on Tuesday that I wrote, "How to Read the Constitution and Why," every chapter has in bold in the beginning kind of the key language. You mentioned "We the People." I don't talk about the preamble to the Constitution, but I go through all you know, not this exhaustively. It's impossible to do that, or it'd be boring. I think, but I I, I highlight you know, as a law professor, the key language, I have little bubbles in the margins. This is basically what this means. Read the text in that way for yourself. Excellent. And then decide for yourself. Don't listen to the people on TV. Decide for yourself what you think it means. Um, And if you don't want to read it, there's also an audiobook version that I, I narrated. Give yourself a you know, an education, do a, do a, uh, an amendment a week, right? Give yourself 45 minutes, listen to the chapter.
2: I'm going to tell everybody this. There is no more, there is not a more important book you should be reading right now based on the facts that we are faced in what could be a tumultuous 12 months ahead. And you really need to know, we need to take ownership. We need to take we the people back. So if you really want to make sure you're taking your piece of the pie Pick up how to read the Constitution and why. And like Kim said, there's an audio version as well. There's no reason f- for us not to be educated on this critical subject. Kim, I cannot thank you enough. Kim Willy, my, my colleague from CBS News, and one of the one of the most important constitutional law experts you will ever have listened to. I can't thank you enough for joining us today.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege.
2: I hope you come back again. You're listening to Security Matters with Paul Violis on CBS News Radio. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap this up. Stay with me. Because I want every real American in this building to please
1: rise. Put your hand over your heart. And in a loud, clear voice, say along with us, We, we the people.
2: people! Now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violis. Welcome back to Security Matters. I'm Paul Violas, and that was Kim Whaley, my colleague from from CBS. Just a wonderful, wonderful person, brilliant mind, as you can tell. We definitely want to make sure that uh, we steer people towards her book. It sounds fascinating how to read the Constitution and why. I'm definitely going to pick it up. Uh, As we close today, uh, first and foremost, a very happy, healthy, uh, and fun 4th of July. But as we close, I invite you to take this under advisement and then to write us back. We the people, those three words, the most powerful, the most important three words of the Constitution. I'm asking you, write us in. What does that mean to you? I Honestly, I know you're busy, but I'd really appreciate that. What does that mean to you? What it means to me is take ownership. We need to take ownership. And it starts with who we put in office, and it starts with, most importantly, holding elected officials' feet to the fire. We simply cannot let them be more concerned with keeping their job than doing their job. So on behalf of everybody here at Security Matters, please make sure you continue to hit us up at cbsaudio.com. Look at some other great podcasts there. Have a great week and a happy and healthy 4th of July. Be safe, be well. God bless Thanks for listening to
1: Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing.